Una advertencia, en este episodio se tocan los temas de acoso sexual, violación y estrés postraumático. Para Guapa.tv, mi nombre es Julio Axel Ponce. Esto es Detrás de las Medallas, historias de veteranos puertorriqueños. All right, so um, my name is uh, David Velasquez Bonet, y este, serví en las Fuerzas Aéreas uh, desde el 1999 hasta 2009. Y... Este, este, llegué al rango de Staff Sergeant, que es un E4. Y pues, uh, como te digo, cuando entré a las Fuerzas Aéreas, este, estábamos en un tiempo de paz en los Estados Unidos. O en la, como dicen, en la Western Hemisphere, ¿verdad? Um, y siempre habían pasado ciertas cosas como el, el, la guerra del Golfo, y como usted mencionó, el Kuwait, uh, siempre habían hotspots, especialmente en el Medio Oriente. Eso siempre ha sido un hotspot. Y por ciertas cosas que habían sucedido anteriormente, pues este, eso se quedaba bien caliente siempre. Y siempre es caliente. You know, I mean, históricamente, Israel, I mean, that place right there, Israel and all that, you know. When I went into the military, so I grew up in New York City. Toda la vida en Nueva York. Me yo nací aquí en Ponce, Puerto Rico. Yo nací en el, en el barrio Mamelle y el que se derrumbó. Y um, me llevaron para Estados Unidos desde jovencito y yo toda la vida estuve allá. Um, yo me recuerdo desde niño una vez que um, fuimos a una oficina, no me recuerdo qué era, si era de mi hermana que estaba matriculándose, pero yo vi un póster de Air Force. Yo tenía como 7, 8 años y yo me recuerdo diciéndole, I want to go to the Air Force when I grow up. And without skipping a beat, she just looked at me and she goes, you have to be really smart. Which I took <laughs> that I'm not smart. And we're very, in my family, we're very intelligent. Pero eso como que me... So, um, uh, many things happened. Many things happened. And um, my life in New York was always very chaotic. And in 1997, I decided to move to Puerto Rico. My, one of my sisters, I, they're my siblings, but they're really my aunts and uncles because I grew my grandparents. Very, una historia que siempre se ve, se, se oye aquí que uno se, se cría con los abuelos. Y pues mi, mis hermanos, entre comillas, eran mis tíos y mis tías. Pero una hermana mía me ayudó a conseguir un trabajo donde ella, donde ella trabajaba, una compañía que se llamaba Pyramid Handbags. Y ella era la... La, la mano derecha de la, de la dueña de la compañía y ella lo que hacía era las órdenes las ponían you know, las ponían en el sistema y las órdenes de, de bags you know, y ellos tenían licencia de Disney anyway, I'm going off on a tangent pero el punto es que ella trabajó ahí 20 años para conseguir esa posición ella empezó como recepcionista y ella me consiguió ese trabajo y me para hacerlo su counterpart aquí en Puerto Rico en Carolina So I, I jumped at the opportunity el año 1997. Me estaban pagando. Yo, después de los impuestos y todo, yo ganaba 500 dólares semanales. 1997. I, eso es un buen sueldo hoy. <laughs> Desafortunadamente. Entonces, pues nada. Uh, 
yo tenía un apartamentito pequeñito en Vistas del Mar, creo que se llamaba el, la urbanización, o Vista Mar, y 450, luz y agua, un apartamentito, anyway, whatever. Punto es que I had too much money, <laughs> had a lot of money, and, uh, and I got in trouble. I got into trouble. I was just getting into trouble because I was still young, you know. Y yo llegué y la crea aquí en Puerto Rico. Porque mi mamá, que es de, la verdad es que yo no me quería con ella. Entonces, yo estuve bien malo, ella me fue y me buscó. No, tenía, no había dinero para ponerme en un... Yo perdí aquel trabajo. Y nada, porque eso se fue a quiebra porque el, el dueño, no el dueño, el que era jefe mío, was a mess, to bring drugs, traía drogas y qué sé yo. And, anyway, punto es que yo fui a CREA y este, tuve ahí nueve meses. Y no sé si, bueno, los que saben, saben que CREA tiene una, um, una estructura bien militar. Te levantaban todos los días por la mañana, te, te hacían linearse y tenías que decir whatever, de crea, una canción que había que cantar y todo como militar. Y pues yo estuve ahí un tiempo y no era porque, lo, la, pero no era para mí. You know, I, no es que yo sea mejor que ese, pero it, was, it just wasn't my population, no era mi población. No era, yo nunca, yo, 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 I used to get in trouble but by myself. You know, yo no robaba, yo no hacía nada. You know. that, no estoy diciendo de nuevo que yo era mejor que nadie. Pero el punto es que después de nueve meses, yo le dije a mi mamá, tú sabes que yo me voy para, para las fuerzas aéreas. Y mi mamá me dice, preocupada porque yo tengo que, you know, que salirme de ahí. En Chile, no, en aquí no voy. Fui, tomé el examen de la ASVAP. Yo creo que saqué 98, 99, con una, like, la segunda nota más alta en, en Puerto Rico. Pues... Los reclutores, yo me recuerdo, dicen, tú puedes coger el trabajo que tú quieras. Pero ellos obviamente me guiaron a ciertos trabajos. En ese entonces um, me ofrecieron o me, 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 me vieron, me ofrecieron o me enseñaron sobre este, ser el pronóstico del tiempo. Uh, pero no meteorólogo, ¿verdad? Porque yo era un forecaster. Hay una, poquita, una pequeña diferencia, ¿verdad? El meteorólogo tiene su bachillerato la diferencia. Entonces ellos usan la física para obtener un pronóstico um, y obviamente también usan los modelos y las la computadoras, pero ellos usan la física cuando el, el forecaster usa la climatología, que es el, el estudio del, de, del pronóstico del tiempo en una área sobre 100 años. ¿verdad? Entonces, si tú tienes ese, ese dato, tú puedes decir más o menos, si tú tienes estas condiciones, te va a pasar esto. I mean, no falla, ¿verdad? So, así es que el, el, el forecaster hace su pronóstico. Anyway, eso, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, pero la razón por qué yo cogí, por ser bien sincero, porque tenía un bono de 15 mil dólares. <risa> y lo, según yo tengo entendido, los bonos los eliminaron, pero yo dije, ah, bueno, yo voy a coger ese trabajo. Um, I went to basic training. Basic training was at, en ese entonces seis semanas y media, corto. It was really quick. Porque ellos no se enfocan en um, uh, athletics. Es more academic. Right? The Air Force is more academic. Porque en mi escuela 
mi primera escuela, la primera vez que tuve que, tuve que ir dos veces a la escuela, era este, un año y medio casi, para yo aprender mi oficio. Porque, ah, y otra cosa, cuando yo fui a aprender el oficio, me recuerdo, I went to Kiesler Air Force Base in Mississippi. Um, it was a great place. I loved it. And it was like going away to college, which I had never done. Nunca tuve esa oportunidad to go away to college. And there were dorms, right? The only difference was that we wore uniform, military uniforms. Um, but it was just like college. I mean, we used to party, and nos íbamos los fines de semana, y alquilábamos hoteles, you know, it was, it was a very, very fun atmosphere. Um, but the, the learning of forecasting was fascinating to me. I thought it was like, wow. You know, we got to see, you know, the military always siempre tienen a state of the art, lo mejor, ¿verdad? Tú lo sabes. And uh, we had this, like, the radars and, and the... And the um, satellite imagery, it was amazing, and um, the Keesler Air Force Base, es que salen los Hurricane Hunters, esos aviones que salen de Keesler Air Force Base, que van a ver la, la potencia de los huracanes. And, um, tuve ahí, ese tiempo, um, aprendí muchísimo, uh, and I loved it, I loved it, I really did. And then, la, mi, me mandaron para mi primera base, Vamos a hablar, estamos hablando ya como para el 2000 y pico, del año 2000, por ahí, a mediato por ahí. Um, y fui para la primera base, que esa base fue la más, la mayoría del tiempo, yo lo pasé ahí, este, it was a MAGCOM, lo que dicen mayor comanda, y eso quiere decir que está, todas las branches estaban ahí, y se llamaba Scott Air Force Base en Illinois. La razón por cuál es, porque estaba en el mismo centro de los Estados Unidos. ¿Qué te quiere decir eso? Que tú vas a, a, a you're going to experience todos los climas, todo, todo ahí en ese eso. So it was a great place to have the 15th Operational Weather Squadron, which is what I belong to. Um, the thing that, you know, that you don't really know, right, when you go to the military, which is like a little bit of sidetrack, was that you get paid by your rank, right? So, you know, you had a job that was like, moving planes or whatever it was that you had like me I had a job that my job uh, you know I used to talk to pilots while they were in flight y decirles a ellos tienen que desviarte por aquí tienen que desviarte por acá porque hay una tormenta que sigue sin cuanto very important right um, but I used to get paid the same as the guy who was sitting in personnel who worked Monday through Friday who got weekends off yeah, after a while that sort of gets on your nerves right <laughs> I never forget that you know we're still human right um But and my job was 24-7 because weather doesn't take breaks, right? <laughs> It doesn't say, well, the weekend, we're not going to have no weather, you know? And that was, so there were three flights that covered the 24 hours, the eight hours. And, um, tres vuelos, como le decíamos en la Fuerza Aérea, son vuelos y escuadrones, you know? Y, este, fue interesante, fue bueno, este, nosotros no teníamos unos días libres fijos. It was very different, you know, we had to, we had to make the best of it, right? Yo viví en la, en las baracas. Y, este, pues, estaba acostumbrándome a la vida militar, which is, you know, el, el militar es, es otra compañía, ¿verdad? El gobierno es otra compañía es como cualquier otra, sino que um, tú firmas un contrato que tú le perteneces a ellos. 
<laughs> a mí yo me recuerdo una vez que a mí me, me, me escribieron, I had a write-up, because me quemé tanto que no me podía poner el uniforme. And I got written up for damaging government property. <laughs> I'll never forget that. I was like, what? Yeah, a damaging government property. <laughs> Pero este, so, you know, it was, it was a good life, you know. Um, I, I enjoyed it. I felt proud, you know. It's like, wow. Um, you know, I'll never forget this also. When I graduated from basic training, unfortunately, my family couldn't come. It's kind of sad because everybody's family is coming up to them. And we got honor flight. We got on our flight. So as the guide on, el guide on es el que carga la, la, la bandera de, de, su, de su vuelo. Dice el número de su vuelo. Yo fue el primero que pisé the parade grounds, you know. And that was an honor. It was great. Um, and unfortunately, when, cuando todo, you know, you, don't, you say the oath, and then you're now, you know, U.S. Airmen, and everybody's family comes in. My funny story about that was like I was I, I was alone, but whatever. I went across the base, and at, at, at that time they were showing the movie, um, la película, este, the Blair Witch Project. <laughs> and I went, to, I went to say, let me ver esta película. ¿verdad? Entonces yo criado en Nueva York, yo saqué ocho pesos para pagarla, porque you know, en Nueva York. Y este, they were like, no, it's just a dollar. I was like, oh wow, yo estaba un peso nada más. Yo, so yo entré, llevo la película. Qué horrible esa película. <laughs> Era tan horrible cuando yo salí y le dije, muchachos, can I have my dollar back? <laughs> I'll never forget that. But anyway, that was my story about graduation day. I went to see the Blair Witch Project. <laughs> It couldn't get any worse. <laughs> But anyway, um, so going back to, you know, being in my Scott Air Force Base, I'm talking about like 2000, the middle of 2000, um, um, you know, I'm getting into the groove of my job. Um, you know, everything is going well. I'm an exemplary airman. I got airman of the quarter, airman of the year. Like, you know, I love my job. <laughs> I, I, not so much my job, I'm moving out of that, but I loved being in the military. I really did. Um, you know, fast forward to uh, September 11th. I was in the military when that happened, obviously. And um, it was my weekend, quote unquote, right? I had Tuesday and Wednesday off. And so I was with a friend of mine who lived in, uh, so my base was in Illinois, right on the border of Illinois and close to St. Louis, Missouri, right? My friend had a house in Farmington, Missouri, que era about maybe dos horas sur de la base, dos horas y media. And, um, you know, we had gone out the night before, blah, blah, and then, you know, I went to sleep and I wake up in the morning, I went down to make some coffee or whatever. And I remember um, he used to keep the TV much like me Uh, on all the time, and he had it on MSNBC, which is what I watch all the time too. And um, so I, you know, I walked by and I looked, and I see New York. Didn't think nothing of it. New York is that's where they're at, NBC, right, at Rockefeller Center, right. So I go and I and I go back and I see like smoke, and I see the towers, and I'm like, what the hell? So I go to the living room, and I and as I'm walking up to the TV that one of the towers fell right before my eyes. And I just couldn't believe it. I was like, what the hell is happening? Like, what's going on? Like, I just, I raised the volume. I was like, yo, look at this. Like, you know, like, and in a matter of minutes, you know, both towers were gone. And, you know, they were saying the United States had been attacked. 
And I mean, I, I'm, I'm just thinking about it and I'm getting nervous, you know? Um, my, my heart is beating right now. I'm getting like sweatier than I was from the heat. Uh, but it, I, I, I immediately started crying because um, I felt this empathy for those lives that were lost. Like I, I felt them, you know? And immediately I was, I, was, I was sobbing like a baby. I'm from New York, you know? I'm from New York. My family could have been there. I was like, thank God they weren't, but it was pretty strong. And, uh, and then the next thing was like, oh my God, I'm in the military. <laughs> we're going to war because that's immediately. If we were attacked, I'm in the military, we're going to war. Like, Again, the last time we, we had never been, first of all, on the mainland had never been attacked. Never, never. That's the first time on the mainland. The closest they got was to Honolulu, uh, Hawaii, not even Honolulu, uh, Pearl Harbor. Uh, that, and that was so far behind that our generation, we had no reference to that. We, everybody knew about it. We studied about it in history, much like millennials study about, <laughs> you know, September 11th. But we had no frame of reference. Like this, nothing like this had ever happened. Um, you know, everybody talks about different events throughout history that they remember being like, I think the one right before us was John F. Kennedy and like Martin Luther King, you know, everybody knew where they were when that happened, you know, but anyway, this was, I, I that's, that was it. I, and I was like, I didn't know what to do next. I called my commander immediately. I was like, what's happening? He's like, no, no, everything, you know, your weekend is still, you know, you don't have to report to when you have, until you have to report, which was. You know, I said, well, bring me back to the base the following day, which is Wednesday. And I remember he had to park. I'm not park. He had to leave me like, I'm going to say like maybe two and a half miles away from the gate because the line to get in, because everything was shut down. And like they, they checked everything. Like you, you couldn't just get on, an, on a, a military base. You just couldn't. And uh, yeah, so I had to walk the rest of the way, get in. Of course, I showed my military ID. I didn't really, I had my backpack, whatever, and they knew who I was, but still. And that was it. From then on, you know, um, uh, you know I, I immediately, I remember um, they were checking all of our clearances, you know, top secret. You know, I had top secret clearance. And I remember we would, we would do forecasts um, because now part of our area, my, my area of responsibility was the Northeast Conus, like the Northeastern continental U.S., right? So we had like this little area of responsibility and in that area we had 11 bases that were at, at my, at my uh, squadron, at the operational squadron. There were three stations, right? Each one had like three, or three bases, three or four bases that we used to take care of. And then they added the North Atlantic uh, air refueling area, right? Because as planes were going, they had to refuel. So we needed to know what the weather was across that. And I remember for the first time carrying folders that, because at back then we didn't, you know, we did a lot of things on computers, but we still had folders. So <laughs> I was carrying a folder that said top secret on it, you know, felt like a CIA agent. <laughs> but, it, you know, um, I remember everybody was so, you know, I mean, I'm laughing about it, you know, some of the things, but, you know, everybody was 
scared because, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen. We just, we just didn't know. And nobody really knew because um, that's what top secret means. You know at the very last minute. You know, you know when you know, when you need to know. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to say maybe about a month, <laughs> the latest, we were a, a big group of us were being shipped across um, to Pakistan because um, we didn't go right directly into Afghanistan, as may, may, may or may not know. Um, we, we had to go into Pakistan on the border. And Pakistan is another horrific place. And, and, and let me tell you, these people hate us with a passion. And, you know, when you, when you get immersed a little bit in their culture, if you've ever been out over there, you understand why, right? They're ultra-religious, but, but not. They are, but not, because they have these crazy cultural things that we would think of as barbaric, right? Uh, but being ultra-religious, you know, you know, the three religions come from the same place and whatnot, and so you know that, you know, certain things are a sin, and, you know, and, you know, these people live in, in mud huts, right, and um, uh, eat off dirt floors, and they're happy about it, they're grateful, unlike the entitled American who lives, like, this is rich, you know, this, this is rich, and, and, um, and our women are naked, <laughs> you know, while their women are wearing like a sack from the head to toe because they don't want to tempt the angels. You know, that, that's where that comes from, you know, that, that, and it, um, so they look at, they looked at, they, they looked at us like, first of all, why are you here? You know, and, um, you know, we, according to them, we deserved what we got. You know, that was our punishment. That was, that, was, that was God's punishment. And we deserved it. And that's, you know, that's the thing about war based on religious dogma. Right? Sorry, I just went right into English because it's just how I... And, but, um, you know, um, war based on religious dogma is... It's, I don't know. My pred my my prediction is it's how it's going to end because of that. But anyway, I digress. So I I'm there, and um, you know they they set us up in these big tents and whatever, and we got use of um, an airbase, Pakistani airbase, and my job was to um, forecast for sandstorms which were very prevalent over there. <laughs> it got in everything. Everything was full of sand. You had to shake everything before you put it on, not only for sand, but for scorpions. Scorpions, bro. <laughs> I'm from the Bronx. <laughs> like, I was afraid of cockroaches. <laughs> I had to look for scorpions. And these spiders, camel spiders. Oh my God, the size... The size of our hand is a baby one. They were huge, these things. Oh, my God. Anyway. <laughs> um, but my job was to, to forecast for sandstorms. And we had, uh, as part of my squadron, I didn't, I didn't do it, but we had para weather. 
and the peril weather because so so tell you a little bit about how weather around the world works right um we get readings right that get put into a computer system now we don't we don't need to put in the computer system because we have satellites that put it automatically but we would get readings because every 12 hours uh, weather balloons go up and these weather balloons they've got these um things on it and they just get the uh readings pressure winds as it goes up right they don't have they don't they're not afghanistan is not putting any weather balloons up <laughs> So you have no risk, like a dead zone, right? So what do you have to do? You have to send somebody in really high altitude to drop with these um, sensors on them. And they get the readings going down. <laughs> and so you've got, you had these people dropping all over Afghanistan, the power weather. And uh, that stuff getting fed into uh, like these we're getting it into the, then we are making because then you know you've got around you've got the weather around you got to use the weather that's around too um, and it'll tell you and then you have to know the topography that the la montaña eso es todo montaña here we go in Spanish again eso es todo montaña y, y tú sabes como en Puerto Rico que aquí en Ponce es bien seco ¿verdad? ¿por qué? porque llueve al otro lado de las montañas that's been a viento, and it just and Ponce never gets any of it. <laughs> but something like that. Uh, but over there, you know, there's, it's, they didn't rain. Oh my God, it's a desert, and I've never been in a desert <laughs> except for Ponce. <laughs> and it's uh, it's really dry. But you know, it was scary, bro. I'm laughing, but it was scary because just because we were in this, you know. Um, we could have been attacked at any time by the Pakistanis. We didn't trust them. They didn't trust us. We didn't trust them. Uh, it was it was a, it was a bad situation. And um, I was there. I think for six months. It turned into nine. You know, they try to make our tours short at the beginning. I rotate. You know, as time went on. Uh, did you get to go to? No, oh. to work, to work and I go for, but I didn't get oh. to go. Oh, land. Well, lucky you. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it wasn't even better in the Gulf. Anyway, I'm sure it wasn't any better. <laughs> but um, so yeah, it, it's it's you've got this you know um, constant fear. You know when you go to sleep, um, and and you know you got to understand that um, you're worried about your loved ones. You don't know what's happening really. At, uh, back home because they limit your communications with the outside world you know this is like really you know the very beginning of this was really you know crucial and they didn't want you know nobody knowing where we were exactly and all of that and uh so i that was it i went out there for one tour that was it i was lucky right came back and um, and I worked mostly stateside, always fearful of my next tour, right? Because that's just the way it was. But for whatever reason, for whatever reason, my number didn't come up. It was like it was like that that um, you know how they used to randomly test you. I think I, in my my whole military, I got tested once. 
everybody used to hate me. There was a guy that used to go every week, every week. He's like, how do you never get called? I'm like, I don't know. I got called twice after I left. After you left. <laughs> oh, you were supposed to do a test. Yeah, I was like, well, I'm gone. I'm out of here. Right? Yeah, it's like, I don't know who's doing it, but whoever did, he must have liked me. I don't know. <laughs> And so, um, so yeah, my number didn't really come up again. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of my family doesn't even know a lot of, I don't really talk about it. I don't talk about that stuff. Um, it's not something that, you know, like, it's like, I'm not proud of that. I'm not proud of the fact that we have to be there, you know, because my, I, listen, I love, yo amo a mi patria, Puerto Rico, pero yo amo a los Estados Unidos. Yo me crié allá y, y, y fue un honor servirme a mi país. Pero, <laughs> with that said, um, mi filosofía o mi pensamiento sobre cómo los Estados Unidos se comporta a través del mundo, como la policía del mundo, para nada. Ellos, la, ellos cuando ellos ven algo que les interesa, si ellos quieren esto, And they're gonna go in there and they're gonna take it. Y si tú no se los va a dar, pues ellos van a hacer algo. Tú eres un dictator. You know. And yes, there were, these people were well, these people were horrible. They are horrible. But horrible in what context? That's that's otra cosa. Que nosotros el 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 americano es bien deseducado, ineducado. No sé cómo se dice ineducado. Uneducated, ineducado. No quiere saber más de aquí afuera. Puerto Rico es mucho así también, pero, you know, el americano, nosotros somos americanos también, que no lo quieran, no lo quieran admitir, este, y, there, uh, that's it, saben esto aquí, ¿verdad? Entonces, uh, no conocen de nada más en el mundo, de las diferentes culturas, you know, el americano se le conoce para ir a otro país y, ¿cómo que tú no hablas inglés? <risa> o sea, o sea que tú sabes que los Estados Unidos también es el único país que tú puedes abrir un negocio y no hablar inglés. <risa> Te puede ver cualquier idioma, you know, sí, porque si estás en un, un whatever, I'm, I'm digressing, I'm getting off the subject here, but um, my point is that éramos uneducated and we don't know what's going on everywhere in these places. What context do we have to base our judgment? We judge it based upon our Judeo-Christian values, right? These people are not Jewish, they're not Christian, <laughs> they're Islamic, and it's totally different. They've been living these, these lives as tribes, that's another thing. They're not unified. There are these little tribes everywhere, and they're all fighting against one another. There's two rams, dos ramas de, de Islam, una de, de Mohammed, otra del hermano. And you, don't, you know, I, I, made, I made myself, I learn about that. Because you want to learn. If you want to be able to deal with these people, you want... Because there's certain things that, you know, decían, you know, you have to look the other way. They did some really horrible things over there. You know, to children. You know, to women. And, you know, that's not what we were there for. And, of course, you know, our... Oh, we're going to save them. From what? What are we saving them from? Anyway. Um, sure, sure, sure. <coughs> Um, what else do I need to tell you here? Okay, I'll tell you a little bit more about what happened to me. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. Okay, so. No, de batería, no de, 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 okay. De storage. 
sure, sure. So I'm, I'm sure I'm not going to be another half hour. <laughs> I mean, I can talk for hours, but <laughs> as you can see. <laughs> uh, okay, so este, regresando a mi vida militar. Pues yo, este, mi experiencia por allá fue esa, este, you know, algo que yo, yo aprendí mucho de la cultura este, musulmana. Porque quise, yo quise aprender, bien interesante, yo me gustó mucho aprender. Y cuando vine para acá, pues, este, seguí mi trabajo. ¿Y qué pasó? Que um, uh, empecé a tomar, a tomar, ¿verdad? Porque, you know, you couldn't do anything else. <laughs> Thank God, right? But, you know, so I would drink, I would go to the officer's club, non-commissioned non, non officer's club. Y uh, you, you tie one on, you tie one on. And then um, I remember being at this one particular time. I was at the barracks and um, I drank to the point where I was almost blacked out. And we were in a group, you know, and we were like laughing and we were carrying on and we were just being obnoxious, you know, as we Americans are. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, I woke I woke up from my from my blackout and there was this marine on top of me and um yeah and he was taking advantage of me <laughs> being violated right and I was so amazed I remember opening my eyes and the room being really bright We're in his room, and and just I couldn't believe what was happening. Like just passing out. I thought it was a dream, actually, a bad dream. And um, when I woke up again, I was on. I was in the room there. His person is lying next to me, and I was like, "What the fuck just happened?" I um, I thought it was my fault, right? I got drunk and I must have I must have made a pass at him I don't know you know I, that's what I thought I thought it was my fault and I said I served for another thing I served under Bill Clinton's don't ask don't tell right and um, you know I happened to be bisexual and so that's why I thought it was my fault because I said so for, you know nobody really knew about me obviously you couldn't they couldn't but I said I got drunk and I must have made a pass at him and he thought that that was okay to do and te digo sinceramente, para mí, normal. I was like, it's just another something that happens. And it stood in my, the back of my head. And um, interestingly enough, that's why I have PTSD. Not for going to combat, but for that experience. So um, right after that, I mean, my performance plummeted. I, you know, I was coming late to work, and I, they had to come get me, the MPs once, for work. I never forget that. I was just, you know, so I, I, my, my career was over. You know, once they have to go get you, like, and you have all these, I went from you know, being the airman of the quarter, airman of the year, I mean, like, to being, like, getting these write-ups, you know. <laughs> And 
and I didn't care. Like I got so rebellious, and I didn't know why. I was like, I hate this, you know, like, you know, and I hate these places. And I wanted to get out of here. And why am I getting paid the same as that guy over there? Like that whole thing started coming up a lot, you know. Este, but I never said anything. I kept it quiet because because I thought I was gonna get kicked out. <laughs> Little did I know that I I was I was I was kicked out anyway. I was kicked out anyway because I got um, I uh, was for misconduct. I was just out of control. So I got I got an I got an honorable under I got a general under honorable conditions discharge, which I'm trying to upgrade now. So, you know, I left and I didn't want to know anything. That's why I don't have uniforms, I don't have my medals, I don't have anything because I threw it all away when I got out. Um, you know, and I, I, blamed, it was, I blamed the military. I thought it was the military. That was them. I thought they, they just didn't like me. You know, I just got rebellious and I didn't realize that, you know, I'm learning, I learned years later that it was because of that experience that I became that way, you know, rebellious and I was angry and I was, you know, of course, you know, I suffered, you know, as a child, I suffered molestation. And I got, I sort of got over that because, you know, when you're a child, you are uh, vulnerable. When you're an adult, like, that's what I realized later on. Like, I, I was so angry at myself because I let that happen. And then what would happen when I left the military was, you know, I'd get drunk and I'd start talking about because I would go back there. And somehow what my psychiatrist said, I was trying to recreate a moment so that I can somehow be in control again, but being out drinking. And so, you know, it was for years afterwards, I, I, I suffered, you know, again, drugs, alcohol. And I finally um, uh, got into this place uh, that I feel like saved my life. It was a, 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 a it's called, they call it the domiciliary. But it's a, it's like a rehab. But it's not just a rehab. For the, it's a, re, it's a, it's a rehab. Um, but it, it, it deals with your mental condition, which I didn't. The doctor said so. I'm telling the doctor I'm having nightmares. I'm, you know, I'm going to, and my nightmares are still to this day. I still have them. They're nightmares of like I'm being chased. Somebody's out to get me, right? Um, why? Who? And that's because that's how my brain is manifesting that. You know, that's what PTSD, PTSD, all that PTSD is that you have an irrational response to stimulus. That's all it is. You know, somebody knocks on the door really loud and I'm, why? And my heart starts beating. So anyway, I've got to get to this place and, and I'm telling the doctor, you know, I can't sleep. I need something to sleep because I'm having nightmare. So he's like, so you have PTSD? And I'm like, because what did I think? No, PTSD, people who go to combat have PTSD. Like, I don't have PTSD. Like, how can I have PTSD? I didn't go to combat. He's like, no, 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 that's not how it works. And he started to explain to me, you know. And um, I uh, was diagnosed with PTSD. All the other veterans at this place, it was a great place, man. I got to be with other veterans. And, and it was, you know, it was, I was there for, I don't know, three months or whatever. But they're like, so how much, what's your percentage? <laughs> what's your percentage? Everybody's like, and I'm like, I don't have it. You don't have a percentage? Like, what do you mean? Like, I didn't even think about that. I didn't, but it, so they told me, you know what, go here, put in a claim, and I did. I put in a claim, had the, you know, the, what the doctor had said, put in it, and even though I had never said anything in the Air Force, when they looked at the dates that I talked about and the dates of when I 
it just coincided. Everything just went overlapped, and they were like, you know. And so I immediately got 70%, and then shortly thereafter, I got 100 total and permanent. But before that, I'm going to tell you something. I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful for that. And, I, you know, everything that I have today is because of the veteran uh, administration. And I'm very grateful. A lot of people have these horrible stories. I don't. Not one of them. Sorry. I've been treated amazing. So uh, the VA is paying for me to go to school, right? I, I went to, they had this chapter 31, right? Because I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't qualify for uh, my GI Bill because I didn't get an honorable discharge, but I qualified for chapter 31 under the VOC rehab um, department. And um, so I'm training now to be a personal trainer, right? Um, it's fascinating because that's what I like to do. I go to the gym every day. I spend you know, an hour or an hour and a half, and, and I like to teach. I like to teach whatever I learn. I like to pass it on. And so now I'm going here at Instituto de Banca right here in Ponce, and, um, and I'm learning how to be a personal trainer. I'm going to take La Revalida, is what it's called. Yeah, I'm going to take that and get my license. And, um, and my, my dream right, is to open up a business where I go to your house and I train you at your house. You know, you're too busy. Like you gotta go all over the island and make these interviews, right? So you got maybe a few hours, I'll go to you, wherever you are. And you don't, you don't need, a, the thing is that people think you need a gym to work out, you don't need a gym. You need a few bands, you know, a ball, <laughs> and your body weight, and you can work out. And I'm learning that, you know, I'm learning about nutrition, I'm learning about all these great things. And I, I've worked out for years, but now like I'm learning all these other things that, you know, are helping me to get to my goal. My point, what I was gonna say is that um, before I got that, I remember telling, I remember crying <laughs> with the psychiatrist, like, I don't care about any money, I don't care about it. If you can help me deal with my PTSD, help me live a normal life. That's all I wanted. I just, I just wanted to live a normal life. What is normal? That's relative, right? But okay, let me tell you something. I got a lot of tools and today, you know, I, I live in the moment. I live today, one day, you know say one day at a time. I live in the moment. You know, these abstract ideas like past and present, I mean in future, these that only exist here, they don't exist. So that's how you that's how I deal with that. Those that moment passed. It happened, but it's no longer. So I have to tell myself that all the time. And and I'm um I live positive, I'm very happy today, and I'm grateful for every single little thing that I get. I'm grateful. I wake up every day and I'm grateful. You know, I had this, the military now, I think was the greatest experience that I had in my life. And I look at my life like this. I'm grateful for every single experience that I had, positive and negative, because they make me the person that I am today. And I'm a grateful recovering addict, and I'm, I'm grateful, that's it. That's my story, brother. <laughs>